with us this morning. It's, it's wonderful to have you here. My family is a bit new to the area as well. We've only been here about a year and a half. We moved to Basalt from the Chicago area. And I also grew up in the Midwest. And while my family would come out to Colorado uh, pretty much every year for skiing or something, um, we never made it this far onto the western slope. I mean, this is out here, right? And so the first time I ever heard of this place, this valley, was from a movie, a, a, a cinematic classic. Some called a masterpiece. Many of you have probably seen it. In Dumb and Dumber, <laughs> Lloyd Christmas drives a beautiful woman to the airport, doesn't he? Mary Swanson. And uh, on her flight to Aspen. And during that car ride, a new hope wells up in his heart. It's the hope for true love. He notices she leaves behind a briefcase, but couldn't return it to her in time, so he recruits his best friend, Harry, to join him on a cross-country road trip to a place where the beer flows like wine and the beautiful women flock like the salmon of Capistrano, a little place called Aspen. Lloyd and Harry were not the first ones to visit this valley, chasing hope for a better life. And they won't be the last. There might be a few of us in this room who found our lives reoriented to this place because of hope. Maybe it was hope for beauty, hope for escape, hope for adventure. Maybe it was the hope for business or a great life or a great lifestyle for our family. Maybe it was the hope to make an impact here and leave this place a better place than we found it after we invest our time and our money and our prayers here. Lloyd and Harry may not have been the sharpest knives in the drawer, we can admit that, but they're human, and therefore they're like us. They're hopers, aren't they? In the climactic scene, Lloyd declares his love to Mary. He asks, what do you think the chances are of a guy like me and a girl like you getting together? Give it to me straight. Hit me with it. And what are my chances? She looks at him and says, not good. He's like, well, like one in a hundred, not good? She says, well, more like one in a million. And after a short pause, he says, so you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Hope does not die easily, does it? We need hope. We run on hope. It's been said humans are hope-shaped creatures. The way we live now is almost completely controlled by what you believe about your future. What are you hoping in today? What are you looking towards in hope? In this way, hope is kind of like the sun that sits in our solar system. Um, Its gravity gives shape and direction and momentum to almost everything we do. Our actions, our words will always follow the trajectory of our hope, and that's true for better and for worse. Here's another story about hope. This one's true. Friend of a friend of mine, so I don't know this gal, but the story's been confirmed, okay, lives in a small apartment in Manhattan, New York City. And um, she lived there with her big old dog, big old happy dog, Um, but he was an old dog, and one day that dog passed away, all right? Now, in her sadness, uh, she realized, you know, that happens, but it hit her, I need to figure out what I'm going to do with this dog, right? I mean, I live in New York. I don't have a yard. I can't go out and bury him in my yard. I don't even have a car. What am I going to do with my giant deceased dog? So she calls the vet. The vet says, well, if you can get him here, we'll, we'll help you. So she looks around her apartment. She's a photographer. And she finds a giant black bag um, with red, big red Canon you know, logo on the side. She puts the dog in the bag, and she heads for the subway all right, to haul this dog across town. Now, down on the subway, she's standing there when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, true story, a guy comes up and punches her 
pushes her to the ground, grabs that bag, and takes off in the other direction, okay? So her first thought is, oh my gosh, I just got mugged in this subway in New York. I'm okay. And her second thought is, well, that solves that problem. (laughs) And she went home. (laughs) I mean, what do you do, right? What do you do? Now imagine... Now imagine you're that thug, though, who who took that opportunity, okay? It's fair to say that he had great hopes for what was going to be in that bag, didn't he? I mean, he thought he was getting a bag full of treasure. He saw the camera logo on the side. He knew what was in there. Now imagine when he opened it up, it's fair to say that all that he had hoped for was a disappointment, wasn't it? Um, That bag failed to deliver on the expectations that he had placed on it. That bag was an empty promise. It was a false hope. Every story, every life, your life and my life, it's about hope, okay? And our world today needs hope. I mean, we need uh, a hope for unity amidst the divisions. We need a hope for safety amidst the, the violence, the uncertainty of our world. Is there a hope big enough but also practical enough and present enough in our lives um, to even begin to address our needs. I mean, we need safety. We need meaning. We need love. We need to know deep in our heart that we're okay and that we're going to be okay. Is there a hope sensitive enough to, to guide the quiet voice in my own heart that is often afraid or anxious or uncertain? Is every chance at true love just one in a million? Uh, Is every bag of treasure we're chasing going to turn out to be a disappointment? Or is there a hope that actually delivers the real goods we need? It's Easter morning, and here's the good news for all of you hopers out there in this room. Generations of people before us whose lives were just as hard and just as uncertain and just as disorienting have answered that question with a resounding yes. There is a better hope. Uh, there, there is a gift that won't let you down. There is a hope that will exceed all expectations, no matter how large those expectations grow. There is hope in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. The, the early Christians, in fact, the very first witnesses to the claims of this resurrection life, uh, became convinced of the historical reliability of this event. They believe that there is a, that a real-world bodily resurrection of Jesus actually happened. That, that one human being who experienced all the fear and all the uncertainty and, and the, the, the pain of death walked through the other side and came out alive again. They were just as unlikely to believe in a resurrection as you and I, but as they considered the evidence, more and more began to say, you know what? Like, this thing really happened. This thing is true. And then after letting the historical fact sink in, they began to consider what the implications of this were. I mean, this man, Jesus, is in heaven right now waiting for you in a solid, material body. Have you ever thought about that? that Jesus is the only physical human being right now in heaven, and he's just waiting for the rest of us to show up, just chilling out there, waiting for the rest of the resurrection to take place, because that's the plan. He won't be there alone forever. Jesus will do for you what God the Father did for him and usher you through death and bring you to life again on the other side.
Well, once these facts, the historical facts, and the implications of this started to sink in, it didn't just change a few people's lives. I mean, this event is the most important event in history. This changed the world. And one of these facts, I'm sorry, one of these early Christians, the Apostle Paul, even put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. um, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. In other words, if um, this didn't happen, the resurrection isn't true, we can all punt Christianity. We can all go home right now. We can all go skiing or golfing or whatever else you want to do on a Sunday morning. Because if Christianity doesn't offer this kind of hope, then um, none of this is worth our attention. But he goes on to say, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If Jesus is the first resurrection life in history, he won't be the last. It's, it's a down payment on your future resurrection with him. And that single fact has the power to reorient and change our lives. In the passage Susan just read for us a minute ago, another early Christian writer who wrestled with the facts of the resurrection and came through and said, yeah, no, this, this really happened. The Apostle Peter shows us that the resurrection can be a new center of gravity that gives hope and direction and momentum to our life. How would the resurrection, if it were placed squarely in the center of your life, how would it change your story? Okay? That's what I want us to think about for the next few minutes together. Let's look at this first. The first and the most obvious place where the resurrection of Jesus offers a better hope for your life and for mine is in our future. Look again at verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter calls the resurrection life an inheritance that's waiting for you. It's a gift of treasure. It's a gift of riches that is coming your way in the near future. Something you didn't earn, but something that will just be handed to you of great value and great wealth. Do you ever wonder how the rest of your life is going to turn out? Of course you do. We all do. Uh, Where are you going to live? How are your kids going to turn out? What kind of um, winding path your career is going to take? Um, When will you die? Um, And before then, will you have an opportunity to make the kind of impact you hope to make in this world? I ask myself those questions. I know you do. The Bible's answer is that your life in this world will have its ups and downs, its twists and turns, surprises. It'll have many disappointments. But Peter goes on to say, now, for a little while at least, you've been grieved by various trials. Life here is hard. It's uncertain. We don't know how the next 10 years, 30 years, or 60 years are going to turn out. But here's the promise of the resurrection, that we do know what happens after that, okay? We do know how eternity will go. So if you want it with me a minute, imagine your life is a timeline, and it starts right here, okay? This is the day you were born, and it goes off this direction. Now, all of the questions that concern us, all of the um, doubt, the uncertainty, the grieving, the difficulty of this world, it's about this long, okay? If your life starts here, all the uncertainty lasts about this 
long. But the promise of the resurrection life goes on across this stage, out the walls of this building, up Highway 82 into the wide open country of God's love for you. If we're able to extend the time horizon of our life in our imagination just a little further than we normally do, we can know exactly how the vast, infinite majority of your life will turn out. You know how your story ends. When Jesus rose from the dead, he wrote the ending to your story, and it's waiting for you now in heaven, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, as a gift. It's an ending filled with laughter, okay? As we reunite with friends and family and we stand back and we just see the tapestry of the relationships that God has woven in this world and we just applaud. We just sing, we just worship him for the creativity and the goodness that he has given to the world. It's an ending of um, glory in the undiminished presence of our creator and our friend. It's an ending of deep meaning and purpose where we finally get to live out the very reason we are designed the way we are and we get to enjoy it. We get to engage it fully without any frustration, without any sin, without any brokenness or darkness to set us back. Resurrection life is a gift that awaits us in the near future if we have eyes to see it and hearts to trust that that gift, that inheritance is true. The resurrection can reorient our future. But next, the next direction Peter sends us when unpacking the better hope of Jesus' resurrection is actually into our past. Now, this is interesting. It's a strange way to say this, but we need hope for our past just as much as we need hope for our future, don't we? I mean, when you start to think about your own life and you look back on it, You don't see a clean, continuous line of unbroken success after success after success, undergirded with gratitude and generosity. We don't look back and see all seized opportunities, all wisdom, all good decisions without conflict. We don't see a life that's free from tears. We pretty much see mostly the opposite of all that, don't we? The missed opportunities, the brokenness, the hurts, the fear. Um, And some of us are particularly burdened by our past. We feel the weight of our sin deeply. We regret how we've treated others and the damage we've done, the damage that's been done to us. We um, miss the people and the seasons and the experiences that we've lost that we're never going to get back. So instead of a hope entirely about the future, where it's almost always pointed, is there actually a hope that can reach back in time and begin to mend the things that we've broken or find the things that we've lost. The Bible, amazingly, says, yes, there's a hope that works backwards, too. Look at picking up in verse 5 here. Again, he's referring to those born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We need to be saved from our own past. That's just kind of the fact of the matter, okay? The sin, the brokenness there. We need help for what we've done. And Peter is saying it's actually the resurrection of Jesus that guards and protects and keeps us in God's salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he solved every uh, problem we will ever have, every ultimate deep 
human question. What do I do with my guilt? How do I handle regret? Uh, can broken relationships ever be fixed? Do I get second chances? Can I be deeply happy? Jesus won the best possible answers to each of those questions when he died for us that dark Friday. Um, he opened the floodgates of love and forgiveness and mercy and inclusion in God's family. All the joy of heaven, all the salvation we need, all the promises of the gospel, he won for us that day. But the cross, without the resurrection, it's not good news. That's a tragedy. We know that story. That's the story of a good man being beaten down by a dark world. We're all too familiar with how that goes. But the cross, eternally connected to the resurrection, eternally paired with the resurrection, that is an announcement of joy. That is an announcement that sin and death will not win in this world, that something else gets the last word, that all we have lost can be re-stitched together into eternity. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York who I appreciate, and uh, he puts it this way, the idea of heaven can be a consolation for suffering, right? It, it can compensate for the life that we've lost. But the resurrection, it's not just a consolation. It's a restoration. We get it all back. The love, the loved ones, the goods, the beauties of this life, but new, unimaginable degrees of glory and joy and strength. It's a reversal, he says. The resurrection is a reversal of the seeming irreversibility of loss. You ever feel like the past is just fixed and that it is irreversible? The miracle of the resurrection says no. Um, The resurrection guards your salvation forever. And in this way, even though we look forward to our future hope, resurrection hope, in some strange way, begins to seep backwards into our past and re-knit what was torn and redeem what was lost and reclaim all that was broken. The resurrection is a better hope for our future. It's a better hope for our past. And finally, it's a better hope for our present lives. Verse 6, in this you rejoice in all this resurrection news, though now, today, for in the present, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And uh, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now, today, in the present moment, see him, you believe in him, you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter calls the resurrection of Jesus a living hope. It's a great phrase, a living hope, a dynamic, active, present power that can change our lives today in real ways, in real time. I mean, think about it. If the resurrection is true, if these events happened in history, the activity of our daily life, the stuff that makes up our days, it cannot be a series of disconnected, random events, right? If, if the resurrection is true, then our life today, every moment of it, even the mundane, normal details, even the grind, is connected. Every moment is holy because every moment's eternal, because every moment is connected in God's hand through our resurrection story into the future. And what this does today is a lot of things. It prioritizes our time and our money and our relationships. I mean, if it matters on our timeline going into eternity, then it matters today while we live out this little bit of our life. But if it doesn't matter then, then it probably doesn't matter that much now, right? So this helps focus our mission. 
You know what else this does today for us? This brings, this gives great value and brings great dignity to even the most mundane and common tasks. I mean, think about what makes up the vast majority of your day. It's not the epic stuff, okay? For me, it's changing diapers, okay? I don't know how many thousands of diapers I've changed over the last number of years. I wish I had a count. It's doing taxes. It's um, playing music. It's sitting down to read your Bible when you get five minutes alone. And what God is doing is he's taking each one of these small seeds of daily life and he's planting them in a soil that he will water with resurrection power and it will grow a whole world of offering to him. It'll grow a whole world of worship to God in eternity. The resurrection also grows our awe of God today. I mean, what a creative, just think about it. Who made up this plan? Like, how, how do you make up the resurrection plan? What a creative, ingenious, loving God we worship that would come up with this, that would bring his children into his family and his creation forever. The resurrection, if it's placed squarely in the center of our lives, can restore our past, can reorient our future, and it's a gift we can take hold of today. We can enjoy it today. So how do we take hold of this gift as we wrap up here? How do we, how do we grab the hope of the resurrection? It's not something you can go on a road trip and go find, okay? Even if you're on a mini bike with your best friend heading to Aspen, Colorado. It's not that kind of hope. It's also not the kind of hope you can steal or buy. Peter tells us how we get this hope. Verse 8, though you do not now see him, you believe him and you rejoice with joy that's inexpressible. This is a hope you can only receive as a gift by faith through belief that God really is all he says he is for you. Last story for the morning. Uh, Another true story about hope, because every story is about hope. The first ever Ferris wheel was built by a guy named George Ferris. Some of you guys may know the story. I don't know. He was a bridge builder by trade who was recruited to build um, a 264-foot-high amusement ride as the centerpiece for the Chicago World's Fair in 1893. So the idea at the time was if Paris could build the Eiffel Tower for their World's Fair, then we'd better darn well be able to build something amazing because we're the U.S. of A. Okay, so this was our uh, competition with the Eiffel Tower. We offered the world the Ferris wheel. Um, The axle at the center of this wheel was a 71-ton steel beam that was the world's largest ever forged at the time. And when it came time to fire up the machine and let the first passengers ride it at the fair, at the very front of the line, was George Harris's wife, Margaret Ann. Now, she was cautioned. You know, this, we haven't really had passengers on this thing yet, and uh, 264 feet um, is a pretty high place to have a malfunction, so maybe you want to see how it goes for a little while. And she just brushed him aside, and she simply said as she got on the car, I trust my husband, okay? I trust my husband. It's one thing to say you believe your husband is a good engineer, and, it's a, and, and watch everyone else get on the car and enjoy the ride, okay? It's a whole other thing altogether to step into that car and to enjoy the gift that he built for the world yourself. The resurrection is the best historical explanation for the events surrounding Jesus' death and the beginnings of Christianity. It, it's good to believe that these incredible events are true, that this happened in real time, to a real man in a real place who is still alive today. 
It's good to trust that God can do that, that he's the kind of God that can make that plan. But to really believe it, to really enjoy it, you got to get in and take it for a ride, okay? I mean, you got to live as if the resurrection is true, as if you're going to live forever. Mourn as if all the sadness in this world will be reclaimed for joy. Serve as if all the, the, the ways that you can give to others is just a small reflection of the ways that God has already given to you through his son, Jesus. The way we get a better hope inside of us is to open our heart, and trust God's word is true, that he's good for what he says he will do. That, that every incredible promise that he makes, we can take it to the bank to say thank you and then to climb in for the ride of a lifetime. The resurrection is the better hope that we're all looking for. And it's God's gift to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your resurrection plan. Jesus, thank you for um, winning all the promises of the gospel on our behalf as you died on the cross. And thank you for sealing it into eternity as you rose again. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take these truths, this great hope that Jesus offers as a gift to this world, and, and help us love it. Help us enjoy it. Help us get in the car and live as if it's the truth, because we know you're good and we trust you. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the chance to celebrate your resurrection. Help us trust you and delight in all you've done. Amen.